Hey everyone, this is a special episode of Find Your Film. It is spearheaded by co-host Bruce Perky. He's been passionate about all these Oscar shorts, these Oscar-nominated shorts. He actually was the person on the ball who suggested that we cover it for one of our previous episodes. We reviewed these films that Bruce Perky will be doing interviews for for this episode. This episode is about an hour, hour and a half, and there are three three shorts that are covered. First one is Eric O, the director-writer from Opera. And that's an animation film that's Oscar nominated. The second one is Colette. It's a it's in the it's nominated from on the documentary section, short documentary section. And he interviews producer Elise Boyard and director writer Anthony Giacchino. And last but not least is writer director Tomer Shushan, and he helmed the the short, the live action short, White Eye. That's actually, when come to think of it, it's maybe a top two, maybe my favorite one out of all of the Oscar-nominated shorts. The whole short is a wonder. Amazing, amazing. I love all those visual tricks. I'm a sucker for that. And by the way, Eric Holmes's and Bruce Perky's favorite from the Shorts Festival, not for Shorts Festival, from the Oscar-nominated shorts, is the aforementioned opera, which both of them call a masterpiece. You can get a bundle of all these shorts, these Oscar-nominated shorts, via shorts tv i recently read on a face on the facebook page of white eye and i'll provide a link for that that it is also going to be coming out tuesday on hbo max so a lot of these shorts are spread out some of them you can see on netflix some of them are just available on youtube you can hunt them out but if you want the whole kit and caboodle and watch everything go to shorts tv for that okay so without further ado here is bruce perky doing doing a lot of work to with these interviews there's a lot of insight on each of these artists and yeah i loved every each and every one of these interviews as you know bruce perky is already a better interviewer than me that is not that is not a high bar to clear by the way folks and anyways if you have any thoughts email us at info at com or just hit up bruce perky over at our cinematics facebook group most importantly watch these oscar nom- nominated shorts at least check out opera colette and white eye each of them have merit in its own respective place very colette for me was very poignant and moving and insightful opera was just a sublime experience it's one opera is one of those movies you can watch over and over again and find nuance i believe bruce Perky has seen it at least several times. And again, White Eye is, that's another movie that, another short that blew me away just because of the wonder, the storytelling and all that stuff. Even though I say I'm a fan of visual language and tricks and all that stuff and acumen, there's a lot of story behind White Eye, which Bruce addresses with Tomer. Okay, guys, take care. And thanks so much for supporting us on Find Your Film. Tell us what you think. Tell us what are some of your favorite shorts as well. Would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Take care and, and take care and have a great rest of your weekend. Bye. Hey everybody, this is kind of a special mini episode of Find Your Film. I do not have um, my Eric, Eric Holmes, or uh, Greg with me today, but they are probably very excited to uh, talk with our gentleman uh, guest here, which is Eric O, who is the director of the Oscar-nominated short opera hello eric hi bruce thank you thank you for having me thank you <laughs> absolutely first of all congratulations it's awesome you got nominated for awesome. an oscar is this your first time getting <laughs> uh, nominated I, i'll apologize for not having your whole resume in my brain so you tell me have you been nominated before 
No, um, as a director, first time. I was nominated for, as an, as an uh, animation director for mm -hmm. The Van Keeper in the year of 2015. But after that, as a director, as a filmmaker, it's my very first time. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That is, that's amazing. Uh, a short little quick history. I actually went to Slamdance Festival online. And I, had, I went there to watch Taipei Suicide Story. I don't know if you happen to catch that, which is a, another, it's, it's in between short and long film. It's like 45, 50 minutes long. And I came, to this, I came to the program so late that I only had a few hours left in the festival. And I saw your short there and I, and I watched it and I, was, and I loved it. And I felt really upset because there was no time to recommend it to all of my friends to watch. So I was very happy to see that the program is up. And for everyone out there, Right now in virtual cinemas, you can rent the programs for animated, for documentary, and for short, um, and for live action shorts, or you can, you can rent the whole package. And I would just say right out front, yours was definitely my favorite of the animated shorts, and it's actually my favorite of the whole program. So I'll just let that out right now. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's incredible. So I guess to start, we should give people a basic short description, which is almost impossible to do, of your short, right? I'll give my best effort, then I'll let you tell me how you would describe it to people. To me, it, uh, so you basically have a, a cutaway of a pyramid-like structure. You start at the top, you work your way down. It's very intricate. Uh, there's a lot of interlocking and interweaving storylines and characters. And you basically, as you go down this pyramid, you're kind of seeing pretty much all the aspects of society, life, religion, race, war. I mean, you see a little bit of everything. And, and to me, what's so fascinating about it is it's almost like a Rorschach test or like a mirror. Like you have to pick your path almost mm -hmm. as you go down, which I've seen it three times now. I'll probably see it many more because you have to, to <laughs> see everything. How do you describe it to people kind of in a, in a thumbnail pitch, if you want to get them to, it's only eight, eight and a half minutes, right? So people should have the time for it. <laughs> it's eight and a half minutes, but at the same time, it may not have any on its running time because you can watch this couple of times and you'll be able to create or find a new story every time you watch it. Yes. That's how it's designed. So basically opera really showcases the reflection of human life, society, and history. And um, in my opinion, in the most raw and pure way. Really didn't want to sugarcoat anything or fake anything as real and raw as possible. So life is like a, you know, a box of chocolate. You have beautiful things you, uh, you want to celebrate and then there are terrifying, horrible things in your life. And as you said, wanted to touch upon all those things. I w didn't want to be afraid of not going to the places that we may feel you know, uncomfortable or disturbing, you know? Because again, we have to face it. Hopefully, then we can ask ourselves, are we actually stuck in this vicious cycle of history? Or can we actually make it better, make our life better? So that's what opera is. Yeah, I, I absolutely feel that. And, and once again, talking about the cyclical nature of it, uh, this really could be put on a loop. It would be really interesting if it was put on a loop, but it changed just slightly. <laughs> it would be really <laughs> interesting to find that. But I mean, that would put 10 million more work in your, in your book there. I will just point out a couple of little things I saw, and this is only in three tries and I'll let people discover the things, but little things like, I love how you kind of have divided it sort of into two sides. Mm -hmm. As you go down, you have a left side and a right side, although there isn't a real clear 
like there isn't a good and evil or a, you know, uh, so I think that's really interesting, kind of forces you to pick a side in quotes, but you really don't because they all have different aspects of society. You see things about funerals, you think, see things about religion, you see things about creating icons or uh, statues or gods. One of the things that really caught me the third time, I hadn't caught it the first time or the second time. I'd, I'd seen the, guillot- the guillotine you had where there's pe- the head's getting chopped off and the heads go down and they either go one way and they go down to like a, a furnace, if I remember correctly, or they go another way and they become like these multicolored balloons. And I noticed that this time. But another thing I noticed this time is I hadn't noticed that up above you have, it's almost like the birth of characters or humans with multicolored heads and then they're painted all the same color and then sent to school. And I thought that was pretty great little symbology there of just kind of how school, you know, this is almost like the classic Pink Floyd, you know, <laughs> since <Right>. school. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. What were you, um, was there anything about the actual presentation format what, that you were inspired by or like what kind of brought you to that? Was there some kind of art that you've seen that's done, mm. brought, brought you there? You know, it's tricky to handpick one or two artists that in- inspired me to actually make this. I mean, overall, I do think, how I see opera is a contemporary version of mural paintings from Renaissance or fresco mural paintings. Because when you look at them, usually, let's say Michelangelo, where we're talking about Bosch, you know, and then you've got like, like angel and devil fighting. And then on the other here, people are celebrating and they're doing a festival and there's some couple making love. And it's all at once in one singular, huge, gigantic wall. And then, you know, as soon as I was studying those, I felt like, oh, maybe that could be it because I'm here to talk about human society which is everything's delicately connected and everything's happening all at once it's not like linear thing but it's just together and the history it just cycles right so i felt like maybe that's it maybe that's the perfect form or or a platform to tell the story of opera so yeah that's that's how i did it only the difference is we i create the movement in passage of time so it's almost like a moving image of the gigantic painting like those giant murals that you'd have on like the ceiling of a cathedral exactly. thing. Uh, I had I written down some notes beforehand just to see, just, I guess I would think for you, it might be useful sometimes to have somebody watch this and say right afterwards, what did you see? Like, right. what did you find? I think that would be fun for me as an artist. So I would just say, I had written this down before I asked you that question. because I wanted to say, tell you what cut to my brain. I thought of Bruegel's Triumph of Death. Mm. If you know that giant picture, even though this isn't all death, but just that I obviously caught the little bit of that. I also thought of Baraka. Have you ever seen uh, the film Baraka? Um, I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. it has that kind of universal, you're just seeing every aspect of life, but it's all put together in this kind of interconnecting mosaic of, but here's like a clockwork mosaic too, which is really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like it gets rewound and started again, like a totally. music box or something. I mean, um, it's really inspired by all those things. I mean, everything you listed, you know, I maybe cautiously, consciously or unconsciously, it just became part of part of the project. And I think the, the, the reason why I was able to do that was because wanting to create something that's very transcendent and universal, like that can be applied to any culture, like mixing up all this Oriental or Western, Eastern, like or old, you know, like mid-centuries or, or modern times, everything's kind of mixed up. So as a whole, you see something that's, oh, that's very human. It's not just talking about particular civilization, for example. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Really archetypal, but also it feels like some of the things you historically see has a feel mm-hmm. of that. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. So a couple of questions and feel free to throw in whatever you want. A couple of questions sure. that my uh, partner had thrown, thrown in as I said, Hey, if you have anything to ask him, what would you like to know? Eric, our Eric without a K, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he asked if you actually, and I think, I guess my answer would be, I think it's, there's a lot of them in here, but is there any specific Easter eggs, anything you specifically hid in there <laughs> for like a friend or someone to, to know that was in there? Uh, yes. I mean, I'm hesitant to actually spit that out now or because that's a bit of a reward for people who watch it maybe a thousand times, you know? Yes, I understand. Um, but I can, I can say something because it does also carry some, uh, meaning behind it. Um, so again, Bruce, not sure if you cut him or not, but there's, so basically the character design, it's black and white. Like there are white heads and black body or black heads and white body. So it's very how that's how they are designed. But then there is one singular character who's who don't belong any of the sides. So he's gray. His face is gray. Body is gray. So he doesn't, you know, belong to any of black and or white. So he that and then he what he does is for the uh, entire um, uh, five nine, nine minutes he travels by himself. So he doesn't do yeah. He's just one singular character who's actually visiting this corner, sit and you know sit next to some some someone doing stuff, and then go to the next room. So here there's one observant, you know. So that stands for something, right? I mean, I felt like maybe he could be an artist because who's not, or, or right. someone else who's outside the system, or he could be the ghost. I don't know. You 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 define, and then but at the end of the day, I felt like that actually questions you though. Like so basically. Is it really the whole world is black and white? Is it really everything you see is what what it is, you know? And then there could be something that's what we call as a gray zone, gray area, and then something that really something somewhere in the blurry boundaries, right? So there's one character. It's super, super tiny Easter egg for, again, for awesome. people who may watch. Well, I hope we didn't spoil something. I don't think this is spoilable, honestly. (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, this is not type of movie that has a twisted ending or anything like that. Anything you see is, you know, it's it's there. It's right there. So it's all you need to do is just watch, look closely, and carefully. And every time I watch it, I try to catch certain things. Like I see, there's a there's a point where I'm not going to say exactly where it happens, but there's a giant fish slash whale, and I'll notice it in certain parts. Like, wait, is it there? Is it there when it starts over? Wait wait, it's a skeleton right now. Wait, what's happening? <laughs> so I keep going back and watching things like that. And I think that's what's really fascinating about the kind of endlessness and detail that you put into this. How long did this take you? Uh, about four four years. Yeah, uh, it, it was a quite a long marathon, mainly because, not only because it was the big scale production, but also because this wasn't the, day, the main prior uh, job for me. So I had other things going on. And this was has been a long time for year long side project. That it took me that long. Yeah. That kind of led to a question I had, which or actually Eric had, which was kind of what your plans for it. So this seems kind of like a passion project, but in your perfect world, I mean, how do you release this or distribute it? Do you get it attached to features or? And on top of that, I guess two questions: What would be the perfect presentation mode for this if you could present it exactly how you want to present it? You know, um, in the middle of production, I already know that I love to make this into two different versions. One for cinematic experience, something that you can watch in the theater, but a big theater. I'm talking about IMAX. So imagine you're watching this in the IMAX theaters, full five channel surround. It's going to give you a whole other level experience. So 
that's something, the scale, the scale of the scale. So that was the, one of the things I yes. really, really wanted to protect. And at the same time, oh, it would be really cool if we could make this into installation. Like, for example, you walk in and you, you just put it on the gigantic wall and yes. you become the camera. Even maybe, maybe I don't have the camera moving in and out too. You just see the uh, static, just triangular shape. And you're the one who gets closer by walking on your foot or zoom out by walking further away. And you can even discuss with your friends while watching. You can just watch a couple of more times. So those two uh, ways are probably the most best way to actually enjoy this piece. I, I absolutely agree. I think that it would be amazing to have this be on a wall of a multi-story like museum where somehow it could be projected or back projected, or maybe it could be um, a liquid, you know, some kind of a, a oh, screen. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so you yeah. literally couldn't see it all from one spot either. Like you literally would go up different floors to see part of it. You have to go up and down to like keep watching it. I think that it's would like be- you are becoming almost the character of them. Like, you know, yes. <laughs> working in the, living in them. So that'd be really cool. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. But I, I did envision, like you said, all the way through this, this would just be on a giant wall or some kind of a surface. Mm-hmm. So you could just experience all in one sitting. And in fact, Eric, one of his comments when we talked about it was this, that redefined the one oneer being our kind of term for a, a single take shot which usually is in like an action movie or you're flowing right, through right, right. hallways. But the idea is here, essentially it also is a one shot um, right. where everything is there at once, basically. Mm-hmm. And then the motion is happening within that space. Totally. Um, kind of like um, rear window. Yeah. Uh, if you ever see the beginning of rear window where you're just watching all the apartments from the exactly. vantage point and you're seeing totally. life. Um, questions. Let me make sure he had something else here. He wanted me to ask you, Oh, music. So, the music obviously here is 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 really evocative. There's there's a little bit of a almost could be religious, could be kind of eerie, kind of ethereal. Um, he asked if you ever, when you were making it, did you ever sync it up or try syncing it up with any other known music? Like like obviously, The Wizard of Oz has you know mm. the Dark Side of the Moon or something. Have you ever thought of it in that way at all? So you mean? Um... Can you rephrase your question a bit? So basically, well, possibly, yeah. did you ever have, uh, so maybe you didn't have the score mm. when you were designing it, as you were designing it to design to it. Did you have anything in mind specifically that helped you kind of m- give you a mood when you were doing Almost it? Almost like a temp music or, you yeah. know, yeah. Or creating the music video too. Actually, not, yes, yes and no. Basically, we, I've been whole, always a huge fan of, Scandinavian, like that type of like sound, like quality. But again, the, the idea of making something that's universal, like applied to the musical approach as well. So from the beginning, I think that we had two couple of ideas, of course. I mean, first of all, thanks for asking this because music is huge, huge part of this piece. And then uh, music is the one that's tying down everything together because this is crazy right. thing. There's so many things going on, but there's music that really captures the mood and emotional arc and really uh, guide audience to what to feel and, and lead the audience that's what the music does especially in this piece and then we approached again the same way we did uh, to the uh, art side of it too we studied uh we uh referenced some of the chinese traditional like um sound and also we all the way flew to the like virtually flew to europe to mm-hmm. study some scandinavian sound but then um, um some people like modern modern artists like philip glass or um, Steve Rye, like some minimalist uh, music, musical elements, 
So we went through a lot of experiments by our, on our own. And then this is where we landed. But what I asked the sound designer, composer, Andrew Vernon, a champion, uh, he's my, my pal for a long, long time. He worked on my, several of my movies like previously. He's the one who actually did the music and sound, everything you, you, you're hearing from, from the piece. This one thing, like, he's, the, he's the guy. But I asked him for something that's kind of very challenging, very Paul opposite. Hey, I want something that's very classic, you know, that can mm-hmm. be, that can leave timeless, but at the same time, very modern. So something chic and like, you know, classic and trendy summer, like maybe can we catch both rabbits? And then something super minimalistic and clean and, and poetic. But th- at the same time, you should carry this k- crazy epic scale. So I was asking yeah. for something very polar opposite those things. And, but again, Andrew was able to um, take all the ideas and, and embrace everything and was able to come up with this amazing score. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it really adds to the, the mood and the tone of it. And I want to add on to it. The sound design also does because the fact that you have, so this could have easily been silent for all the figures. It could have just been the music, but the fact is as you're watching it, at least as I'm watching it, I'm noticing like, Oh, when that thing falls, there's a sound for it. Or when the guillotine drops, there's a sound for it. So, and the strange thing is uh, once again, it has that strange effect because you're watching all the things at once, but not able to see everything at once. You're hearing all the things at once, but you don't, necessarily understand what you're hearing until you're focusing on the thing that's making that sound. So that's your intention. What was your intention there? How did you think about that? What you said was exactly our intention. So if you just like the visual, if you don't make your, make your mind to look at any particular thing, you will see something crazy. Okay. It's a whole wow. Like, I don't know where to even start sound too like you don't hear anything but just walla 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 but if you decide to look at something you know some accident incidents then that's when you start hearing oh this one of the singular elements was actually coming from there and then and then if you decide to look at over here like so we did our best not to miss any actually uh sound yeah. especially some prominent big movement like guillotine like head chopping off or stuff like that that's right. a big uh, it does actually sometimes grab your attention so those things were our 10 poles for sure. But uh, what we tried to do was, again, really did our best to create everything kind of like for, for every, every movement you see there. And then it's really audience's role to decide which one to actually listen to or look at. But that also works really thematically really well, I think, too. Because then you have something, for example, like you can follow one little figure as it falls, as he falls or she falls. You don't really have a gender of uh, falls to their death into a, a pool of water. And you look at them and you hear that happening just in like life. If you look, you can see and hear what's happening. But a lot of times we don't look. Yeah. Uh, it's true. just happening. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. we're able to just kind of move on by with our everyday, you know, mm-hmm. blinders on, I guess you'd say. So I think it works thematically too, because when you look at it, it's there for you to see and to hear. So I think that is really, um, it's really cool. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Not too much else for you. I'm not going to take too much more of your time. A couple of things that might be, um, well, one last real question, and then a couple little things just to put mm-hmm. you on this, put you on the spot on your film love, just to see what you like. But before that, what's what's up for you? You future projects, big, small, directing? Yeah, um, currently two new projects are on its way. Uh, one is actually just finished, which is titled Namu. Uh, it's, a, it's a VR project. I was able to work with Baobab Studios. I'm not sure if you're family with them. They are one of the best VR studios 
and now they are moving on to create more of animated contents. But actually, so I myself and Baobab, you know, collaborated to create this new personal story of my mind, like which was inspired by my loss of my grandfather. And then it's very personal story. Let's say opera is my, you know, outlook on life. Overall, I'm really studying what's going on. But then Namu is much more personal story. I'm going into myself now. So very spiritual journey. Um, it really follows uh, one main character's life from his uh, birth to death. So it's going to really give you some emotional um, gut punching, hopefully, <laughs> message and something that you can resonate with. So that's that's Namu. And then actually recently... Uh, VR version first premiered in Sundance um, early this year. So after hopefully, yeah, it's out there. Um, so after opera, um, hopefully Academy um, ceremony is done, I'm ready to start promoting that film like right awesome. after. So, yeah. so you so said it's VR though. Is it going to be released in um, different, I assume you release it in different versions. Uh, we like are. VR yes. and, is it feature length or is it short? Uh, it's a short length. It's a okay. short film. It's another short length. And then, and then we are in the middle of actually in the conversation of how to actually release this. In the, we are also thinking about retranslating this to short film too. So um, I think soon I'll be able to share something through my own personal social network or oh. media or a baobab or you, you'll get to. I'll let you know, <laughs> Bruce. Basically. So you're going to make me cry is what you're going to do with me. Uh, <laughs> is that what you're going to do? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> um, and then one last thing. One, the other one is called another. I'm back at Tonko House uh-huh. at this current moment. So I'm with Dai Sasumi, the founder of Tonko House. We are working on a new Netflix show, original show named Oni. It's called O-N-I, Oni, that's the name of it. It is a story, a father and daughter story inspired by Japanese folktale. So that's what's going on also. So I'm working really hard, working on a variety of stuff, but yeah, keep moving forward. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so my last things. Yeah. We always like to ask everybody because it's really fun. We love discovering what people love and finding things that we never discovered before as far as films go. It doesn't have to be animation, doesn't have to be short. Is there a movie for you that's always been, I mean, no matter when you return to it so far in your life, it's just, it's special to you. Uh, I know it's a lot to throw at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, always I told you I was going to test I was going to push you a little bit on this. You know, it's so odd that, you know, I have to, because I often get this question, but every time I get to think, because every time yeah. I feel like I just think every of day something Every day it changes, else, right? You know? It changes change, every day. It does change. That's fine. Know? But so what I do is I just spit out whatever that comes into my mind immediately at this moment, you know, at this moment, somehow, um, um, Michel Gondry, Eternal Spotless, uh, um, you know, Eternal Eternal Sunshine Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Mind. Yes. That just came into my mind. I mean, I love that because it just blurs everything, like the reality, what's happening in consciousness, and it's so well done. And some of the films like that, you know, um, we can actually even list films that's very similar to that type of category but i am drawn to those type of things poetic surreal but at the same time very human raw story and that type of no matter you're watching animation or play or or Mm -hmm. live action i do think i tend to lean towards that type of filmmaking so yeah for now with uh michelle gondra's film is an element of surrealistic uh imagination there something like that yes yes on top of reality, the something, the real story, you know? Yeah. We just talked about in ours um, recently, not to go off on a, too much of a tangent, but we just talked about uh, Holy Motors. Have you ever seen Holy Motors? Oh, yes. By yeah. Leo Sparrox. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. 
If you've never seen it, there's a, a, a three-part movie called Tokyo. Tokyo. Uh, ah, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah. It has Michelle Gondry. It has Gondry, Leo and Karatz. One, and, um, one Korean director was part of it too, I guess. Uh, Jong Boon-ho, I think. Uh, maybe I'm a little confused. But I know what it is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last, last, last. Cool. Yes. We, every week, do a thing called What's in the Box? It's full of little pieces of paper. And every week, I personally draw one of those out. And that's one of, the we- one of the movies I will watch that week. There's probably 50 in there. But if you have a movie that you think is underseen, people don't see it enough or talk about it enough. It could be anything from a short to whatever. Well, what would be that movie you sometimes... You always want to tell people, like, I wish someone I could talk to somebody about this. They never watch it. What would that uh, movie be? And I'll put it in the box. <laughs> I'm, uh, you have some... I should have I thought about it. I'm not going to make it easy on you. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. I, yeah, I mean, everything that's coming into my mind... Ah, oh, that's actually super popular. That's pretty well known. <laughs> so yeah, but maybe I, have, I might not have seen it. You never know. I'm old, yeah, but me, I missed a lot of things. <laughs> give me like like a couple of seconds, you know. Let me just yeah use my yeah yeah yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> hmm. Ah, uh, there gotta be some really good ones. So it doesn't have to be anything. It, it can be anything you think. Anything. Anything. Okay. Anything. And um, I will try my best to find it and watch it. If I, p- I have to pick it out of the box first, so every week. <laughs> I have some in there from other people I've interviewed from like four months ago. It hasn't come out yet, so I'm just waiting <laughs> for it to come out. <laughs> Sure. Um, okay. I mean, again, this is this has been super popular back then, but it's it's been a couple of decades. So maybe some young generations or someone who are getting into animation may not have seen it. So I'll just share it. There's a, a um, omnibus story consists of almost like a almost like you know Love, Death, and Robots, like from Netflix series, very right. similar to that. But you know, there's a thing called Genius Party by Studio Four Degrees. I haven't um, seen that. Oh yeah, there you go. So I think it just came out early 20,000 or maybe before that. So it is Japanese animation. It's a, it's a series consists of four or five different shorts, only uh, different directors, all Japanese, amazing Japanese legendary directors. And also, but all done by Studio Four Degrees in Japanese. So highly recommended. Studio if you Genius watched Party. It. Yeah. Genius Party. Yeah. Yeah. That is a pretty good hole in my experience. Uh, anime, uh, Japanese animation. I, I have a little bit. I, Satoshi Khan back there. I've got, done some Satoshi mm-hmm. Khan. Yeah, I um, see that, yeah. But I definitely, I can learn a lot more. And I mean, I've seen the giant ones, you know, but uh, I really <laughs> want to see more. So Genius Party, that's awesome. Thank you so much. You you love it. You'll love it. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I will. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything else that you want people to know before we uh, let you go? Um. Well, I don't know. Maybe I can share my personal thoughts uh, about how I am seeing this sort of situation of how, how much opera is getting loved and getting recognized, you know, yeah. especially Bay Academy. I think it means a lot because it is so different. You know, um, I once had a bit of a stereotypical lens towards Academy too, because when I was seeing opera as being, um, um, you know, considered, I felt like, ah, it's not academic material. It's so different. You know, they really care about nice story arc and nice characters. And, you know, there are certain rules they must have been following, but, you know, it just became nominated and it just, you know, um, and then I think that says a lot, actually. I think that's going to hopefully already making a big positive impact on the creators because now we are being encouraged and inspired to do more things because, you know, yeah, animation can be so much more. It's not 
meant to be yeah. executed in just one singular way. It can be this. We, we are encouraged to push the bar and try new things, sharing more things about this beautiful medium of, anima- of animation. At the same time, the audience too. Audience will be inspired that, oh, wow, only Disney Pixar animations were the only animations. Something like this could be an animation too. So as a whole, at the end, I think having this much of uh, recognition and love, you know, hopefully will make some positive change and inspiration to the entire community and industry. That's my hope. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am 100,000% behind that. I love, I love seeing animation stretched to every corner from serious to fun to emotional to whatever mm-hmm. animation uh, is so creative. The sky's the limit. Why, why would you not go to those other places? So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Eric. I hope, I hope you win. <laughs> 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 thank you for giving us this time. And uh, I will let you know when we uh, post it up. Have a great thank day. Thank you, Bruce. Have a good one. All Talk right. to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. We are here with a mini podcast with only one third of Find Your Film. We are very happy to be here with the director of the Oscar-nominated short documentary feature, Colette, Anthony Giacchino. Giacchino. Giacchino, you got it. (laughs) Okay. And producer Elise Doyar. Yes. Very Mm -hmm. good. Thanks for coming here. And first of all, right out of the gate, congratulations. Um, Thank you. Excellent, excellent work. So what I did is uh, I reached out, I watched all of the shorts. So I got, we got the program that had, you know, all the shorts from all the categories. And I reached out to my favorite from each category. So I don't know what that means for your success. Thank you. It was the favorite of mine for that category. I love it quite a bit. Thank you. Thank you very much. So first of all, out of the gate, uh, I don't know your full resumes. Have either of you been nominated before? No, this is the first time for, for both of us. Um, and, um, and it's funny because <clears throat> I'm looking forward to seeing Elise in Los Angeles next week. I'm in Brooklyn. Elise is in London. And for the last year and now like two or three months, this is the, like, I know that room that Elise is in. She's seen this room before. But like the last time we saw each other was in Missoula, Montana in February of 2020 when we were at Big Sky Documentary Film Festival um, and the film won Best Documentary Short there and was Oscar qualified. So that was sort of the first step for us, but it's the, it's the first time and it's very exciting. Very good. Well, congratulations on that. Um, and that's interesting because in a movie that has a lot to do with connection, connecting, uh, to be undisconnected for so long, at least physically, not being able to be in the same area uh, is interesting. So I, Every movie you have to kind of approach a different way. With fictional movies, obviously, it's talk about the creative process, coming up with the ideas and all that sort of thing. I am always fascinated when you're doing something that's a documentary, a feature or a short, whatever it might be. When does that germ of, hey, this is going to be something that we attack? How do you approach it in the beginning? Like, how do you see, how do you find Colette or how do you find um, Lucy and think about, oh, this is something that could be more? Elise. (laughs) <laughs> yes, this is over both of you. I'll, I'll try to be a little more yes. directed to you guys. Okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take I'll take the this question. Um, I w- if I can say, Anthony is passionate about uh, documenting his story, and um, I am personally uh, passionate about uh, um, um, uh, people who can take 
tell uh, important stories and and the stories of the the resistance uh, um, in France is particularly uh, close to my heart because my family was part of them. And uh, when we were in Normandy, um, uh, Anthony and I, uh, with our um, uh, camera woman, Rose Bush, we heard, um, we were wrecking for different stories, and we heard that a woman was a former resistant and was a friend of a guide who we liked. And we thought, okay, let's go and meet uh, Colette. And we uh, discovered, we enco- that was our first encounter, with a woman who not only had very vivid memory of the war, so that was, um, uh, 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 we were diving into her life while uh, the, mm. the France was occupied, but also she had a tone like, like we had never heard before. She was very uh, um, uh, um, uh, strong. She was very uh, truthful. She was frank, but also very tender. And with us, she really wanted to, to transmit her, uh, uh, um, what was her life, a life of a, a, a fighter yeah. during the war and, and after the war. You know, so, Elise, Elise, I, I, you know, I'm kind of laughing when you're saying this or smiling because as you're saying that, I'm remembering that first time, like she was, it was like a combative interview when we sat down with her that first time. It was really like interesting, combative in the sense that, you know, when you come into someone's place and you have like 12 people and you tear apart their apartment and, but you know, just so you can kind of get an interesting shot, which by the way, never ends up in the film. <laughs> uh, anyway, but, um, you know, you kind of are used to people sort of like, okay, yeah, you know, you can interview, whatever. But but she was like, really, she had like even just points of view about, well, how, where am I looking and who should I be speaking to? And, you know, and she didn't like the way we were doing it. And she let us know that she didn't like how we set this up um, <laughs> and stuff. And I thought, I was like, oh my God, she's going to kick us out of the apartment. And yet when that first interview was over, she said, look, if you're ever back in Normandy, you're welcome to stay at my apartment. Don't expect me to give you be a paid tour guide, but you can at least stay here. <laughs> that's but that's what she was like. She was like in person, like you see in camera. That's, that's really great. So yeah. that, and uh, I'm not, I'm going to do my best to not spoil certain things because I feel like yeah. the experience of experiencing this, this movie, come on guys, you can go out there, you can get the whole package, you can get one of the categories just do it. Um, so you can experience it first. But um, one of the, I think this is a quote from Greg, but we all agree that one of the things about her was that she suffered no fools. She, right. she was right. very direct and very honest. And she is obviously what this movie's about, but it's her, the surprises that she brings. And I'm guessing that you also found things surprising. And I'm going to do this in a way that's not spoiling. Mm-hmm. There is, there's a moment where uh, you ask her, something about how close she was with her brother and how much, and then her response is surprising. Uh, there's a moment where she talks about something her mother told her that, wow, that I, I'm guessing that when that happened, uh, you guys were taken aback. Do you, I, I mean, um, listen, I, I, we will respect the rules you lay down on your own <laughs> show, but we're okay to talk about that moment. Okay. If you, if you. So we'll put a line in the sand right here. Put a line yeah. in the sand right here. Everybody. Pause. If you're listening to this or watching this, go watch it. Come back. Okay, let's go. Free for all. Okay. So let's talk about it. So when she mentions that her mother told her that she wished she would have gone instead of Jean-Pierre, 
I mean, <laughs> what did you think? Well, I mean, it, 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 what's what's interesting about that is that, um, yeah, it, we were sort of we were blown away by it. Um, I, when I first heard it, I think I had the same reaction as you did, but we didn't know that until, um, after she went, we were done filming with her at the concentration camp. Yeah. And Elise was, um, well, at least maybe you should tell the story since you sort of discovered that, um, afterwards. Yes. Thank you, Anthony. Um, yes, in fact, you know, because, um, the whole process of the film was to, uh, to in, indeed accompany uh, Colette, who we, uh, uh, that we were protected as our main protagonist. Like we did protect Lucy as well. And maybe we will talk about Lucy later on. But yes. Colette, we, she was 90 and she was really uh, leading the show. And uh, we, wa- we wanted to, 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 be, um, uh, to, to provide her with a secure environment. This is what we did before filming. This is what we did during the filming. And this is what we did after the filming. We took her back home after the count. And um, uh, of course, it was important to debrief, if I may say, about what the experience we had gone through. And I went back to Caen in France, uh, together with another member of the team, and we 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 uh, took her back to the, the the restaurant where she is at the beginning, and she's dancing at the beginning. And in this restaurant, she she told us that it was that the the experience of filming uh, uh, this tribute to her brother was extremely important because this was what happened to her, and she had never forgotten. Oh yeah, how would you forget that? <laughs> And so then we were given this piece of information, which was striking, that, was ex- that would e- explain a lot of, of her uh, amazing personality and the burden that she carried and the, the wound that she, she was uh, uh, dealing with for so many years. And uh, so when I heard this, I called Anthony <laughs> and Anthony said, wow, we need this in the film. So find yeah. a way, find a way. And actually, this is the magic of um, filmmaking. We, we, we used a, 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 a mic to, to record uh, another interview, a post-interview of a whole experience. And many, many, many nice things uh, also happen in this. Uh, when you take the time to accompany the people you are telling the story. Yeah. And what was interesting, um, you know, about that was um, when we received, because by this time we were back in New York and we received the audio from that was um, listening to Colette, like everything, all the raw material right around that, where she's sort of back and forth about, she, she wants to be careful because she doesn't want to sully the memory of her mother. And right. I thought that was really interesting. She was still trying to protect her, even though she admitted that her mom probably forgot it the second she said it, right? But that, that she never did. Um, and yet of everything that was in the film, that was the thing that I was most worried about Right. When she watched it. I, I was Whether, worried about that. So obviously she saw it. She knows it's in there and she's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but that, seems... was, that was the thing. 
that I was like, oh boy, I wonder what I she's going to say about this. I could see that or the moment where, where she actually breaks down being something that you might wonder if she wants to show too, because she mm-hmm. seems like the type that she, she even talks about how, you know, everybody goes and visits and the same sort of thing happens and she doesn't want to have that be the, you know, the experience people get from this, or I kind of got that impression. So I mm-hmm. feel like, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. The, the fact that we see her being so direct, so flinty, so strong, um, really increases the impact of that moment when she, it finally hits her at the camp. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you don't expect it probably. Well, yeah. I mean, we did not expect this. We did not expect it. No. Yeah. No. And I think that's, and that's kind of brings me to talking about Lucy a little bit, because I think that Lucy is also, it's those two together that creates a really interesting dynamic because it's not just her alone with you guys, obviously, with the film crew and people recording her and all that, but it's somebody that she's connecting with, a younger generation, somebody who she obviously starts to build quite a connection with. How did Lucy become part of this this feature? How did that happen? Do you want me to? I I I, I can. Uh, yeah, I can just. Quick, so when when we were, um, so when we got Colette's story down for the first time, um, <clears throat> you know, I oddly enough, um, I had actually been to that concentration camp memorial before, before knowing Colette. In fact, I had just been there days before I even heard of Colette and her, and her name. So it was kind of striking to me that I was like, oh, that's weird. I was just there. That's where her brother died. So I had been, you know, I had gotten to know the people who ran the museum there. So I just said, Elise, maybe you just need to talk. Let's talk to them and see, before we ask Colette even consider, she would go back, like, what do they think about that? And it was, it was so, so um, in that conversation, they said, oh, there's this project. There's a historian in France. He brings students back every year. You should probably get in touch with him. He might be someone that's interesting that you could, um, could talk to. And that's what, um, and that led at least to Lucy, right? Because when I called the museum in the north of France, uh, that was in direct uh, link with Dora, uh, it's a peculiar museum that is uh, settled in uh, a coupole, a place, a launching base for the flying bombs that were built in Dora. So they are connecting because of their history. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I called this uh, museum, they told me, oh, um, our young people have gone already, but we have someone who could not join the, the, the trip to Dora and would, would be very interested in going to Dora for the first time and meet a former resistant because this young person is among volunteers that are currently writing a book about the 9,000 French deportees to Dora. And she was the youngest and she was 17. The age that Jean-Pierre, Colette's brother, was when he got arrested by the Gestapo. So suddenly we found someone who was uh, an aspiring historian. Uh, So she had all the the reason to be there, but also that she was bringing something on the emotional level to the the documentary. 
Well, and then that gives Colette, it's just even if subconsciously there's like this, it's just probably just a connection, just just automatically. But also uh, Lucy seems so open and um, she seems like a very a gentle soul, I think. And it, and it, yeah. it works really well with Colette. And, and I think the two of them, obviously, I, I don't know, that experience is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, can I just say something quickly yes, about, absolutely. Uh, about that was um, like what I, what I liked about Lucy was her. Um, and I, I don't say this in a negative way, but she was, she was, I think a little naive going into like what the experience would be that this would be, and she calls it an adventure that this is going to be a, a big adventure. Right? right. So she has that sort of young person's sort of mind, like, wow, this is great. It's going to be this great adventure. And I don't think she was ready for uh, the emotion of it, what it would do f- to Colette or, you know, even to herself. So that's, I, I, I really liked this sort of how she grew in, in that and within a very short amount of time, but she wasn't ready for it either. Well, and by extension, that's what a really good documentary does, right? A really good documentary like yours. Mm-hmm. It takes somebody who says, oh, that's interesting, you know, just in, you know, just your brain, I guess, interesting to know about but not expecting the reality of it. And I think that's the thing that Colette does, right? She brings the reality of it. She brings a face to it, to her brother, a face to herself and a face to people. Yeah, older people, right? I'm older, not as old as Colette. Um, But uh, there's, you know, it's just, there's an older person there, but there's a world, there's a story, there's a life and knowledge. I mean, all those things that we, traditionally used to think about uh, and she brings that to us and then to lucy as well it's really I, I would say she she also brings like the the other thing that we um that we discovered while we were you know on the trip and then and then of course then afterwards in the edit was um was this uh this tension right between like there was a tension between colette and lucy but not in this sense that that colette was attempting to just erase and forget the past so she could move on and survive. And Lucy is trying to remember and preserve the past so she can move on. And in fact, even survive because maybe this will help us, um, you know, stop something like this from happening again, if we understand it. So that, that, that thing about remembering to survive, forgetting to survive was, I think really interesting. And, and we, um, you know, and I was, so talk about sort of, you know, how somebody, you know, grows or changes and then Colette sort of at the end realizing, um, or at least coming around to Lucy's, I think, point of view about like that it's okay to, to remember this. Right. And of course. Yes. She, with the ring. She, yes. The ring. And then letting herself yeah. when she breaks down and not wanting to even be watched doing that and not to have that being experienced, but then that is part of the experience and having to see that. Um, yeah. There was something that caught me too that I thought was really interesting and I can't quote it, unfortunately. I'm sure you probably can. There's a moment where Colette says something like, well, when you experience a war. Oh, yeah. And that really struck me. And it's one of those things that just kind of goes by like a simple statement, right? But the fact that you say that to somebody and think about that, like when you experience a war. That's right. When it's your turn, she says. It's an inevitability. Uh, inevitability and yeah exactly when it's your turn then you'll see you have no time you know you know really for 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 anything yeah that was pretty profound i thought and 
if you sit and think with that, how almost the point of the movie and the point of what Lucy's doing and all these things is that, wow, we shouldn't be able to say that statement, right? Mm-hmm. With certainty, we shouldn't yeah. be able to go, when you experience a war, let's say maybe if you experience a war. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's, that's collect, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I may say, it's, it's indeed why, the, uh, to me, this, this, uh, this film matters so much. It's because it's, uh, um, it talks about World War II and the resistance, but it talks also about the, the, uh, when you are in a, you have to be in a fighting mode because of uh, um, um, a threat. Or, and um, and we, we are, um, it, it, it talks about the solidarity, solidarity between uh, generations, uh, between uh, different nations, uh, solidarity in general, to fight against evil, to fight to preserve our common good. And this is universal. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we see it now, the creep of fascism. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's all over that. You can see this in even sort of attacking the the problem of climate change. I mean, you can talk to, you can talk about it, the pandemic that we're in. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it needs a united, all of it needs a united response. Right. And it, it needs sort of this, uh, a, a bridge between generations. And, um, you know, we think that, or we hope that people see that embodied in, in Colette and Lucy and, Absolutely. you know, their particular journey that they went through. Is there anything, um, I'm thinking about, is there anything that you didn't, ca- or you captured and you wanted to show or you ended up cutting it? Is there anything that didn't yeah. make it that you really wanted? I, I think about the scene at the, with the German um, yeah. official mm-hmm. and she was not having it at all. <laughs> and I feel like that probably went on longer and, and I'm sure you decide what to cut. Oh, no, no, no. When, when she said, turn off the camera, that the camera was oh, off. Oh, okay. So it was done. <laughs> it, was oh, done. it was done. Like that's how we, that's how we um, sort of went on with that shoot. It was, it was clear. If she said, hey, I, I'm not doing this, then it was done. So was there anything that just was the hardest thing to let out of? Yes. In fact, we have, we, let's, at least we should, let's talk just about that, the final shot in the film Harry. where they're standing in that white room. Um, with a portrait? Yes. Yeah, with, yeah. with the picture. So that, that space is the actual, that's the space that Jean-Pierre died in. So that was a couple of miles outside of the camp. It was a subcamp of Mittelbaldura. And it was a location where if you were too uh, sick or exhausted or just could not work anymore, they just warehoused prisoners in this building and left them to starve to death. No food, no drink. They were expected every morning to go do roll call outside and then just go back into the building and just die. That is where Jean-Pierre died. And we and we we visited that spot, um, and we just couldn't make it work within the the time we were trying to make this film in. Um, but we got that last shot in there um, of the three of them, Jean Pierre, Lucie, and Colette, you know, standing there, and and mm-hmm. and it's interesting because uh, Jean Pierre, I mean Colette. Um, in essence, like directed that scene. She told Lucy where to stand. She wanted to sit there. The picture was going to be here, all that. Um, but we see that as the um, sort of like the last word that, 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 that Jean-Pierre was sort of, 
I mean, Colette said it when, when, as we were setting up that shot that, you know, he's, you know, we've brought him back, you know, that he may have died here, but now here we are sort of with, with the last word. Um, so that was good. I mean, we got it in, but it takes like explaining it to anybody to know really where that is. And then yeah. Elise, tell them why it's also special. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yes, it's, um, it's special because indeed this is where uh, they have, the three of them maybe have the last words and they are uh, standing there um, at a place of death. They bring back uh, some, uh, maybe some hope. And uh, the, um, what you can hear is the, the song um, of Le Chant des Partisans, which is a very special song um, uh, of the resistance, sung by Anna Marly in 1943, so uh, on the BBC, at the exact time when Jean-Pierre was uh, captured by the Gestapo. And the, 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 the song is sung by my three daughters. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, 20, 22, 20, and 16. And they are, they are musicians and they, they sing this resistance song. So for us, it's about transmission. It's about um, uh, not only these three, uh, like Colette, Jean Pierre, and Lucie have won, but also we, we, we talk to the young generation yeah. and try to uh, empower them. That, that is that's really good. So I, I love this movie so much. Um, I'm going to end with something just general and we're going to just talk about movies for a second here because we love movies so much. Before I do that, though, is there anything else that you want people, other than to watch this, that you want people to know about this project? I, don't know. I mean, I, I think you, you really covered sort of the big, uh, the big points. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I feel good. With what we talked about. Okay, yeah. good. I hope you yeah. feel good. Um, uh, we're going to have this little <laughs> tiny fun thing at the end yeah. here. Um, but before that, I would be remiss if I did not mention, um, I think my co-host would be really upset with me, is that we did a few months ago, every so often we do a director's spotlights and, and pick a director. And we did one on Alice Guy Blachet uh, because no one ever talks about her. <laughs> so I couldn't hear, talk to another Alice and not talk about Alice Guy Blachet. So I just want to mention that if you are not aware of Alice Guy Blachet, look her up. If you are, she's wonderful, wonderful. One of the first directors in the history of cinema. She was a woman and she was French. So beautiful, right? Yes. Uh, yes absolutely. <laughs> okay. So now it doesn't have to be documentary. Certainly can be. But what for each of you? Yeah. Um, we'll start with Elise. What movie is just always something that you can go back to and has and impacts you? It could be something that just gives you joy or makes you laugh or breaks your heart. Some movie that just has always been the best thing for you. Oh. <laughs> I know. I told you I was going to quiz you at the end here. <laughs> okay. I want to speak. I mean, there's many movies that give That's me right. joy. And particularly now during the pandemic, every movie where you see people of, uh, partying together or having a, a dinner together, or exchanging, talking about cinema together, like what we love in France. So all this. Uh, but if you ask me what um, movie inspired me all through my life, and still now I think about it, I would say it's a very old animation, animated movie called Les Maîtres du Temps. Masters of Time by René Laloux. And I think it's 1982, okay, to be checked. But it's 19, 
1980 something, I think in 92. They, the drawings are by Mobius, a French drawer, a sketcher, very good. And it's, it's a film that where um, you play, you, the, 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 the directors, I mean, the, the writers, they, are, they play with time and they also play with emotions because uh, the, there are some uh, little uh, um, creatures that are telepaths that can read, smell actually what's going on in the, 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 head of peop- the heads of the people around them. And this, for me, it's an amazing film because it talks about s- cinema, you see? I mean, it, maybe it's, I, I believe it's the first uh, movie that I went uh, and uh, watched uh, uh, in a theater. It was with my father. And I, uh, I mean, it's really something that was, uh, that it's close to my heart. So, and- Les Maîtres du Temps, Master of Time, Masters yes. of Time. By René Laloux and Mobius. See, that's what I love. I, I will, we love to discover movies that we may not have encountered before. And how about you, sir? Anthony, what do you got? Um, you had time to think, so. <laughs> well, well, when you said, when, when you asked, I sort of, I, I had it in my head. Um, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a film that like, you know, if, if it's on, I'll like kind of just sit and watch and I'll just, no matter, you know, what, what points on, but yes. And it actually kind of connects to this story, but um, but for a very for a personal reason, um, in uh, in 1993, I was in Germany. Um, I was living in Leipzig at the time, and I uh, was teaching English to um, adults. They were basically all adults. They were all older than I was, and I and I wanted to go to the movies with them, um, uh, so we can just use it as a discussion point. Um, and we went and saw Schindler's List. No, and I wasn't, I was just like, let's go see Schindler's List. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh boy. <laughs> With these. It's and, an adventure, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen it yet. I knew, I mean, it sort of was about, but still it's just like, hey, let's go and we can. So these are all older Germans. Um, and we went and saw it and it was dubbed in German. And it was just sort of just like, it kind of um, like, I don't know, in some ways, like it felt like it just reached out and like really grabbed everybody. Right. And we had the most amazing discussions about it in like sort of the days afterwards. And it really, um, so it was, it came at a point in my life when I was there and I was just sort of really taken by that, by by, by the story. And I kind of felt like I was able to live out, um, you know, some of the aftermath of that and talking with people. It made me go to um, Poland. I went to Auschwitz because of, uh, because of that film. And I traveled there by myself, like in February of 94. Um, And uh, yeah, and it, I I think probably has a lot to do with my interest in this time period. So um, yeah, that's what I would, I I, I would say. I think that that's what. uh, I remember I watched that, but I had, I was kind of a weird kid and I would watch all these different things. And I remember sitting down and watching Shoah, you know, oh, all, yeah. all the way through. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. Yeah. And so, boy, that's, that's something too. Yeah. I, I tell that to people and they're like, you actually watch show all the way through? It's like, yeah, I watched all the way through. That's it's hard like, to find now, you know, to, I mean, yeah. unless you're going to like, um, I think, I think, I, I can't remember. I think like Sundance channel or something is, is streaming it. 
or someone has it. But, I um, wonder if, I don't know if Criterion has it. They might have it. I know that it was on TV when I watched it and it was like PBS, if I remember correctly. And um, yeah. I think that was, today's a VHS and I just, you know, recorded, recorded. Yeah. The whole thing. So, well, thank you both so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. Hope you win. There are <laughs> thank strong you. competition. I have watched them all. There is some really strong competition there, but I hope you win. Um, oh, question. So with all the pandemic and stuff, do you get invited to the actual, you know, Oscars? Yeah. Do you get to go? Yeah, but um, it's really stripped down. Like there's, there's nothing. They're not doing anything except for the ceremony. You know, um, so there's none of the, like, you know, the parties or the whole week of events right. that usually happens. There's, there's nothing going on. Does Colette get to go? <laughs> Does she want to go? Not possible. Not yet. Okay, no. like we, we wish, I mean, in another time, like with the pandemic, it's not possible. It's too dangerous for her anyway. Like, yeah. you see, it's uh, yeah. it's complex to, to travel in the current time. It's, we really, we really, we fight against, we are in a, in a time where we all fight against this pandemic. We yeah. sure do. Yeah. But I will say, Bruce, um, April 25th, the night of the Oscars, it's also her birthday. Oh, oh no. She, oh. You know, she was born, she, it's interesting, she was born 22 days before the very first Academy Awards ceremony. Oh my gosh. Well, wait, <laughs> oh, she, she has to win. I mean, come on. Have, you told, have we told <laughs> the Academy? The Academy needs to be told this and you just have to do it. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. This just has to be the case. Just spread the word. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, she'll be celebrating a birthday that day, um, you yeah. know, and, and she'll be watching from home. We wish she could come, but. Well, we'll be celebrating it too, right? We'll raise a glass yeah. of something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well thank, thank you, Bruce. both. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, last thing. Yeah. I'll let you go. What else is on the horizon? What are you guys working on? You know, <laughs> you should ask when this is over. Okay. I feel like this is what we're working on. I'm looking at my timer. Um, I have three minutes and 51 yeah. seconds. I'm going to use it to the max now. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm currently, um, you know, working on a, um, something for Disney Plus actually oh. um, tied to their 100th year. I can't really fully say yet in 2023. Um, but that's... Um, that's all I can say right now. Okay. <laughs> Elise? Yes. For the BBC, on a, on a big documentary for the BBC, on um, the impact, the trauma, and the impact of uh, covering war oh. um, around uh, the, um, the life of um, um, a BBC war correspondent called uh, Fergal Keen. Very good. All right. Well, thank and you, you can so be assured oh. we are, we're trying to figure out the next thing we'll do together. Exactly. We're, yes, we're trying to figure that out still. Well, it definitely worked. Whatever, <laughs> whatever happened there. I mean, <laughs> the magic was there. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much. All if right. you see you, Colette or Lucy, wish them love from us. And um, will do. Have yes. a wonderful rest of your day, guys. All right. Thanks <laughs> for the call. Bruce. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. This will be the final interview from the Oscar-nominated shorts, and this is in the narrative live-action category. And that film is White Eye, directed by Tomer Shushan. Uh, Once again, after you finished all this, uh, if you haven't seen the shorts, uh, each program is available to rent, you know, animated, documentary, and uh, live-action, or 
you can actually rent out the entire program for all of the Oscar nominated shorts, which are coming out uh, in just about a week. Uh, you can get this through Shorts TV. You can go online and, and search that out and find all kinds of places to get that. And we will also make sure that the links are included in the notes of this podcast. All right, everybody, we are here with our final interview from the uh, 2021 Oscar nominated shorts uh, program. Uh, we've done the uh, documentary and we've also done animation, but today we're here with uh, live action narrative category and we are here with uh, Tomar Shushan, director of White Eye. Hi. 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 Thank you very much for having me. Director and writer, correct? <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, so once again, congratulations for being nominated. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's uh, very, very exciting and uh yeah, I'm just super happy about it. And um, yeah, happy to be here. Is this your first time being nominated? Yeah, it's actually my first film after film school. So <laughs> I don't know, it's like my first wow. independent film. And uh, it went really, really far. So it's, it's actually first time of everything with this film. Very exciting. Uh, that's awesome. So I'll let you know, we talked about our favorite shorts uh, a couple of weeks ago. We do a weekly podcast. Uh, we watched all the shorts, or I watched all the shorts. My partners watched most of the shorts. And we were talked quite a bit about yours because we liked it quite a bit. In fact, Greg, uh, one of our, my co-hosts, he was talking about, you know, whoever sees, you know, Wide Eye, they need to snap up this director because he's got a great future ahead of him. So um, hopefully he's right, you know, from his mouth to their ears. Yeah. But um, I'll give people just a quick idea. We're not going to spoil it because we want people to actually go out. We want people to go out and watch this. I mean, this is a, what, about a 20, 21 minutes, something like that, 22. Yeah, 21. But we'll give him the concept. The concept is uh, a man finds, uh, he believes he finds his stolen bike. And his stolen bike is locked to a post outside of a building he calls the police, says he found his, he's found his stolen bike, and he, he wants to get it returned. He wants it back. And that is essentially the kickoff to a, a set of events that isn't predictable in the way we might think, and definitely not in the way that uh, the main character, Omer, thinks, played by Daniel Gad. Um, now, did you have any personal experience that made you come up with this? Have you ever encountered something like this, or this is straight out of your, your mind? Um... Yeah, it's it based on a personal experience that happened to me about three years ago uh, when I found my stolen bicycle in the middle of the street. And um, I had so, um, I had sentimental um, feelings for these bikes. And uh, when I saw it, I, I thought to myself, I'll do anything to get it back. And um, while, I'll try, while, while I tried to do it, to to bring bring it back i found myself doing something that um came out of of some anger and some um i couldn't control myself um and because of that i i almost harmed another person and um and i felt i feel that after this this story happened to me this this experience i really really wanted to cause this story actually and and since then i'm i can tell you that uh i'm quite different so um i'm really happy that i had the chance to make a film about it so 
other people can see it and um, maybe it's going to change something in them too. You might be interested to know, I had my uh, son watch it with me the second time and I asked him afterwards a little bit about it and what he thought about it. And we talked about how uh, a big part of what you're talking about is how when you face a situation like this and the movie itself, you come in with a set of assumptions. You know, here's, here's my bike. Someone stole it. Whoever has this bike now is the thief. And that's kind of the, the basis, right, of everything is that assumption. Yeah. And this movie, in a sense, is kind of a, a description of the, that, that butterfly effect. You don't know when one thing you're doing is actually affecting so many things around you. And I think it's very yeah. profound in that way. That's true. But I have a question for you. So a very um, interesting part of this movie we haven't talked about yet is that, uh, and I'm not sure if it is truly this, but it looks like it's truly all a single shot. Is that correct? Yeah, it's one single shot, one take. Um, and and I did it because I felt that I wanted the audience will would really connect to the to the main character so I thought to myself what happened there in real life and I remember that I didn't have like any moment to stop and to think if my actions are good or wrong or if if what I'm doing is is it can it can harm someone or change their life and and because of that I did it in one shot because I didn't want the audience will also uh, will have the chance to to stop and to think. I just want to be like one breath, you know, one breath. Mm-hmm. And um, so I also didn't let the camera stop. And by that, I felt that it can connect the audience to the main character. So that being said, how difficult was that? Did you have to rehearse quite a bit, or how did you? <laughs> that's a, there's a lot of moving parts. So yeah, I mean, we had three rehearsals and. We mostly worked on the rhythm of the of the story um, and the rhythm of the take because you know when you do it one shot you don't have any chance to edit it after so we just needed to edit it in our minds before and um, I felt that that it's it's going to be very very challenging and hard and it was I mean until the I mean. We, we we still rehearsed on the on the shooting day. We had only one day to shoot it, and we still rehearsed on the half on half of the shooting day. Oh, no. And then we we went to to shoot it. Um, we had like few hours left, and it was super super scary. Uh, but but I couldn't think about something else. I I I, I just saw it happening, and and we we all made. A great, great, great job. I mean, it's all about the team you're working with. Um, films, it's all about the people you collect with you to create a story, and everyone gives something uh, from their from their own, you know. And if you all believe in the same message, if you all believe in the same, you know, purpose of the of making this story, so great things happen. Well, and you had to you had to be a team to make that occur because everyone yeah. had to perform their parts at the right time in the right place when the camera's facing them. 
I would point a couple of things I would say, uh, talking about how you're with him and you don't have a time to breathe and all those kind of things by having it the single shot. Another thing that caught me, and we talked about this on the show a little bit, a couple things. One is it really creates a very strong sense of your place because you essentially have this building and the streets a little bit around this building, but you get to feel like you know where you're at and the geography that you're living in there is very clear by the end of it. And to some degree, it has a little bit of effect to me like a rear window where you're looking yeah. across the apartment complex and you see all of the different lives all happening at once because you have some lives and some events happening in the background of this movie that are just there to be seen. And you can see it if you want to see it, but it's not necessarily part of the quote story. That's true. Uh, but one other thing I want to point part out, of the core. it is part of that world, right? And it's telling you things yeah. about that world. One thing I wanted to point out too, and I, I thought was really, really amazing as far as the storytelling from you, and I'm, I know it's intentional, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. There's two journeys through the building. And in the first journey through the building, once again, I'm going to stay vague. The, um, our main character, uh, Omer, is, is looking for somebody and he's looking into rooms and we're seeing him look into rooms. And the second time through the building, we look into a room again with a totally different context. What was your thoughts around doing that? I know I'm keeping it kind of vague, but I really loved that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll tell you something. Um, this whole film started, I mean, the shooting plan. And the first time that I, cha I changed the script, because the script, the first version was about a restaurant, not about a meat factory or like a butcher uh, factory. Yeah. So... I came to visit my friend. He had this factory. He owned this factory. And I came just to visit him while I was uh, looking for uh, locations. And then I saw this fridge. And I thought to myself, at the same moment that I saw this fridge, he just showed me this pla his place. And I, I just looked at the fridge and I, I thought to myself, what? I, I just told him to, get in, to, to be inside. And I, I called his worker and, workers and I put them all inside and I took a picture and this image um, was like stabbing me, you know? And that's what I tried to do. I, I, I changed all the script because I felt that it's supposed to be all about this image, the change person from one view, from one thing that he see. And I felt that it's going to be great for the film. So I just built all this one shot, all this story around this image. I just thought what's going to be before and what's going to be after. And I didn't expose it on the first time that he came, come inside. I wanted to be after. Um, and it's about the circle, you know, it's, this film is about circling. I mean, circle of life in some way. Um, and as you said, like the, the, um, the character of the prostitutes that it's, she's there all the time. Right. And cars coming and pick her and she just like keep, coming back and doing circles and no one cares about her. And, um, and this guy that he complete his full circle, he understand he became, he become a better person, not a better person, but he, he changes a person as a human being uh, because of this. Um, so that was the thought behind this uh, whole idea. That idea of from your narrow kind of experience of your understanding of the world to understanding like, Oh, wow. There is, yeah, there's a, a revealing of so many interlocking lives. And that's obviously what he's encountering. Now, my uh, co-host wanted me to ask you a question. I'll probably ask it. I'll actually read it to you so I don't butcher his words. But it's about the police because the police are a huge part of this 
a huge part of how this all goes down in this. So he said the the cops weren't interested in helping this guy get his bike until there was an opportunity to make someone else's life more difficult than it already was. Uh, and even then, they couldn't really be bothered with helping him get his bike. And, he, and his que- his main question was like, why do you suppose it was that the cops have trouble more trouble protecting than they do, you know, causing Help someone me. to get, you know, get yeah. arrested. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'll tell you this. I think uh, I remember that in real life, I felt um, that uh, the cops came two times. Okay. And every time that they came, they just made the situation worse, you know? Um, and I, I, and, and, and I could, I could think about it after I realized after that every time that they came, they just made more mess. Yes. And that's not like, it's the opposite of what they should do. And I feel that uh, now I'm taking it to the refugee point of view, because uh, when I, I met a few refugees uh, for making, for casting this film. And um, I remember that one of them told me, no one knows how it is to live, to wake up in the morning and to be illegal. And and, and and they're like still didn't do anything wrong, but they're just illegal. Uh, so I feel that these people are, are see-through, you know, no one cares about them in the society. No one look at them, no one talk to them and they are just there and they feel it. And the only people that can, can see them, it's the authorities, it's the, it's the police, it's the immigration police. It's like the, it's the court house that you know it's it's all about that and and when a police so see when a policeman see opportunity to um or not opportunity when the, when a policeman come and you see two people one of them is a refugee and one of them is more privileged it's easy job for him you know he just just like blame the weak person because he don't he's, he don't have voice and that's what's the story about these people don't have voice well, and you say they see them, but they see them in that most simplistic way too, right? So yeah. they don't see them. And that's kind of the whole point of the main character here is he's seeing, he's seeing more fully. He's not seeing yeah. that, that narrow view that is his own, based on his own personal understanding of the world, which is just this little bubble, as opposed to seeing the, the layers un, unfold. Only a couple more questions. I don't want to keep you too long. I felt like, and I could be totally wrong, but I felt like there might be some Easter eggs or some f- interesting things going on in the walls, the graffiti, the posters, yeah. and I may have missed them. Uh, they may just be something I don't know, or they may be something that were just your own personal little touches you're putting in there. Am I wrong about that? Or was there something there? There is something there. I mean, uh, we worked with a graffiti artist and I wanted him to create few uh, images um that can bother people uh and and not even like in a straight way you know that like, like just the colors or like the the characters that he painted i i mean i just wanted to create more intense vibes and and at the end there is like a huge yellowy line that's going through the main character head and I thought that's supposed to be like his, um, 
his sense, you know, his common sense uh, and, and, and how he becomes straight person after. Um, so yeah, there is lots of thought behind it and I can give lots of credit to the, to the, um, to the artist that have this idea. He heard the story. He's I think 16 years old mm-hmm. and he heard the story and he really liked the story and he had the chance to do it. And also lots of credits to the, um, our director, her name is Nitsan and she just gave me lots of, of ideas and show me lots of uh, colors and things that we might use or artists that can be, um, that we like lots of reference from, from different artists. And together we all just um, create this um, feeling. Oh, that was excellent. I, and I caught that. And a lot of times that's behind them when they're doing things or they're passing it. And it's kind of seems to kind of mirror the, the tension yeah. of that scene going on. So I thought that was really interesting. A couple of fun, just fun questions, because we love movies in general. I have, I'm guessing you probably enjoy movies yourself uh, from the kind of uh, care and the approach you took to this. Oh, one last thing. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. just, I'm diverting myself. We're not going to say what it is, but final shot. Beautiful, beautiful oh. final reveal. And once again, your whole, your whole movie is, is, is showing us what's happening more than the exposition, right? And that's such yeah. a perfect, beautiful way to say what has happened to this character based on the situation he was <laughs> faced with. So I don't want to say it. I don't want to ruin it. That's such a great shot. You don't need to let that. Um, okay, yeah, but now- I can tell you something about this shot that um, that when I showed this to all of my I don't know uh, teachers from high sc- from uh, not high school from film school and um, friends from from film school that like uh, studied with me and I mean lots of people that that I really really appreciate their mind be- before I release this film. I can tell you that eighty. 80- 5% told me to change the ending like to 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 cut the film um when he just I, okay I don't want to ruin it but like ah, maybe one minute want to ask you <laughs> one minute before everyone told me to do it everyone and and I can tell you something that I learned a lot um of being a filmmaker that when you do things, you can hear others ideas, but don't let anyone change what you feel inside of your heart. And I was very honest to myself and to my art. And I feel that that's what made this film authentic and organic because it's, it's at the end, it's, it's a creation that building my, my, my mind and, and, happened to me in my life and when you listen to your your inside i mean it can't be wrong okay uh last last this is little fun things now but it might tax your brain because i I do this to people they're always like what i could talk about my own film and now you ask me this i always like to end with two questions one is what is a movie any sort of movie it could be you know fun comedy romance drama sci-fi whatever what is a movie that always to you, you can always go back to, and it's always had an impact or always meant a lot to you in your life. Oh, I'm sorry. It's my internet connection. It's okay. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. No problem. I can say it again if you didn't hear me. Wow. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> Every time I ask this, people like it thrown back. I have few. It have to be something that I, I uh, watched before I became a filmmaker or like something that... 
during the years. Could be something from when you so, were five if you want it to be. Okay, so it can, can I give you a few? Sure, there's no rules. Okay, so um, Winter Sleep, it's a Turkish film, and, um, and, and Workmeister Harmonies by Bellatar, and also his film, Turin, The Turin Horse, and um, American films, I can say that my favorites are Ghost Dog, of Jarmusch. Yes, Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog is one of my favorite films. And, and The Shoshnik Redemption, of course, one of my favorites. And, um, and, and, and what else? Um, there is this film that named Stalker. It's Tarkovsky yes. film. Yes, Tarkovsky. Or, uh, yes, Stalker. Yeah, Stalker. And let me think about one more that I really, really like. Um, I'll go with No Country for Old Men. <laughs> yes. I really like it. Now, I guarantee... I gave you genres, but uh, yeah. Yes. I, I guarantee... Uh, I was going to say, I guarantee that the Coen brothers, when they made that, someone probably told them to end that movie differently. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, right in front of me, you can't see it. It's on this wall. I have a Dead Man Jarmusch poster. Some of Jarmusch's stuff is amazing. So interesting. One thing I like to do is I like to, um, I have all people that listen to the mo- to, to our show, I have them all add movies and I put it in a box. And every movie, I pick one movie out of the box just randomly to watch and review for the next show so that I'm always forcing myself to watch movies that I may never have heard of. Now, you mentioned a couple Turkish films. Now, it- no. Uh, uh, Winter Sleep, it's a Turkish film, but mm-hmm. Belatar, the director of uh, the Turin Horse and Workmeister Harmonies, uh, he's Hungarian. So of those, which do you think I should see most? Winter Sleep. Winter Sleep. Winter Sleep. No doubt. Because it's also very... Um, box. <laughs> yeah, also very cinematic and artistic and and uh well well directed but also amazing story and and yeah i don't know very important i think that i like it because i like to deal with topics that uh confront people from different sides of the society excellent and, who's the director of winter sleep do you know yeah his name is nuri uh, n-u-r-e-n-u-r-i and I remember how to to spell it. I will look that up. I will look for that movie for sure. That sounds very interesting. Um, I was also going to say, if you've never looked up the history of the making of Stalker, I don't know how familiar you are with that. Yeah, of course. Crazy. That's yeah. crazy. You think your film was hard to make? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that movie was insane. No, no, I can't compete. <laughs> with Tarkovsky, like it were. I also uh, read his book uh, from time to time, back to his book, um, and talk about a lot how to make um, his films and how to make them. I don't know, for me, like one of the greatest. Oh, yes. The way, I mean, it's, it's yeah. every shot is 
a painting you know it's just insane the insane um the settings and just the compositions he uses are just ridiculous (laughs) unfathomable Tomer, I want to thank you so much for for your time today. Is there anything else you want people to know, like as far as this movie or future projects you have going on? Um, I lost you a little bit that last little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you try it one more time because I cut that last answer cut out a little bit, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go since we're starting to cut out a little bit. So we lost Tomer at the very end there. I'm sorry, guys, that we didn't get to get his final answer there. Um, But it was a lot of fun talking with Tomer. I hope the best for him on uh, the upcoming Oscars. If you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Wide Eye. It is super cool. And as you can hear, he's um, got a great creative eye and a really interesting ideas to put out there. And I would expect um, great, thing, great things from uh, Tomer here in the future. <laughs>